praise the Lord. I'm glad we know him tonight in a great way. We're going to read about a way here momentarily that he's great. I don't care a thing about knowing him this way. Greatness can be expressed in so many ways. When he came to the earth, his greatness was expressed in humility. But the next time he comes back, it ain't going to be humility at all. It's a battle cry. And I definitely want to be on his side. Let's turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 16, verse 12, if you would. Now, a lot of folks don't think about his greatness quite in this way, but I admire his greatness in this way. <clears throat> it takes an understanding of him to be able to appreciate it. And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates. Now, those of you that know your Bible, you know that there was four rivers that came down through the Garden of Eden. Two great rivers that still are known. Two of them, they're not sure exactly where they are. But that is the Tigris and the Euphrates. Now, I want you to listen to what's going to happen, prophecy in the last days. And the sixth angel poured out his vial, or the English word there is bowl. So he pours out his vial upon the great river Euphrates. And the water thereof was dried up dried up. So, just to give you a heads up on being dried up. The Euphrates today is the lowest that it has ever been in known history. I saw one YouTube video after another after another this evening and news articles as well. And the titles were the Euphrates is drying up. We're closer than we think. That the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, out of the mouth of the false prophet. These are the spirits of devils now listen, working miracles. Here I go again. This is why I say the bride isn't just known by miracles. Amen. We believe in them, do we not? Amen. We believe in miracles. But I want you to listen to the spirit of devils working miracles, which go forth into the kings, unto the kings of the earth, and of the whole world to gather them to battle of that great day of God Almighty. I find this so interesting because John and other of the writers switch that around so many times and say, Almighty God. But in this particular instance, John wrote it, God Almighty. Almighty means omnipotent. And it also means him who has control 
over everything. Yeah, that's my daddy. Notice what they're being gathered to now. To gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And he, now watch the setting change again. And he gathered them together into a place in the Hebrew tongue called Armageddon. He gathered them together. He gathered them together. Who's doing it? Well, we'll find out here shortly. But I'll give you a little heads up. It's the same one who's gathering the bride around the word. So when God gets ready to gather, ain't nobody can stop the gathering. Whether it's in light or darkness. Let's bow our heads together. Heavenly Father, we love you so much tonight. It's such an honor and a privilege for us to be able to gather again in your house. And thank you, Lord, for each one that's here. And Father, we pray for those that are sick and different ones we know of, Lord, that are battling different things and couldn't be here tonight. But we pray that you just send your healing virtue to them, Lord. We pray for those that stream the service, those that will archive it. We pray for those of us that are present. Would you be mindful of us? No doubt our needs are so many tonight. <clears throat> but we know that our God is so great and so mighty. Just as we've sang the song, how great is our God. So we pray tonight, Lord, that you would take us into your word. Make our understanding enlightened and fruitful that we can be benefited by our gathering together. We've not come just to have fellowship with one another, but we've come to be enlightened of the time we're living in. We do not want to be found naked. We do not want to be found unclothed upon, but rather we desire to be clothed with the cloth of the word that we could be dressed for our great union with our bridegroom. Speak to us tonight, Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, we ask. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. <clears throat> I realize there's an element of people that really don't consider it very important to look at such things as this tonight. All they want to hear about is faith and the cross and the blood and mercy and that sort of thing. And I found out a long time ago, folks that need to hear the cross preached every night, that's probably because that's as far as they're living. But people who really have met the Lord Jesus at the cross and received what he's done for them, and they desire a position of discipleship. They desire not only to be able to know about forgiveness, but they desire to know about the future events. They want to know the order of what to look for. The Lord Jesus told us in Matthew 24, of course in Luke 21, one of my favorite scriptures pertaining to the end time, pray you therefore always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. 
So that takes enlightenment to be able to understand where we are. If we don't, then we become as the parable that the Lord Jesus gave us about the servants whenever they looked and they thought that their master had delayed his coming. And when they perceived that he had delayed his coming, then they began to beat the men servants and the maid servants. They began to abuse their position. And yet we identify this, and I preached it to you several years ago on this thought, that it was by their perception. So it was behavior by perception. So they perceived that the master would be a long time in coming. And because they believe that about his coming, then they began to reflect that by their behavior. So they didn't act like that he could come at any day, at any hour, at any moment, but they acted as if though his coming was years on down the road. So if it was, they could do whatever they wanted to do, and then they felt like they would have ample notice to be able to straighten up anything that they wanted to do. But the Lord Jesus gave us several things in his own preaching, as well as the book of Daniel, as well as Amos, Isaiah, Hosea, uh, many of the prophets of the Old Testament, that we would be able to read these things and with the instruction of the Holy Ghost under a prophet's ministry, we would be able to apply them to our day. And we would be able to know, maybe not so much the day, maybe not so much the hour, but at least the season. Now, you and I, more than likely today, already we're seeing a little bit of change in the leaves. I saw a great big walnut tree, which is probably 75 or 100 years old, right beside the road yesterday when I was coming by, and I saw just a little slight tint of yellow in those leaves. And as you know, they'll be one of the first ones that'll turn, and then the shumac and some of the others that'll follow. But I've already saw a few of the brown Bradford pears, and they're changing into that kind of a deep burgundy. And already, now, I, I don't know exactly the first day that we will have our cold weather. I don't know the first day that it'll snow, but already I'm able to see. And if you'll notice across your road, you'll see little woolly worms, and they're going across that road. Now, the old timers say, depending on what, what color they are, you'll be able to tell how your winter's going to be. So if they're kind of dark at the beginning of it, you're going to have kind of a bad winter, and then they have a brown streak in the middle, and then they'll have a dark streak in the end. Now, I'm not sure about all that stuff, but I figure it's probably about as accurate a bunch of them liars that work for the Weather Channel. They don't know either. So, you know, the old people that didn't have the Weather Channel on their phone, because they didn't have phones, but they went by all of that. So they would take their hands and run around the bark of the tree if they were out in the wilderness and they were lost and they would close their eyes and they would do this. So they would take their hands and go around the tree and they would spin around the tree. And when they would find the heaviest part of the bark, they would be able to know that was the north side because the north side would be the direction by which it would come. They would also be able to listen to the sound of the whippoorwills here shortly in the fall and be able to tell that the whippoorwills 
and the Kadidids. Now I'm telling on how old I am, aren't I? But yet they would be able to listen to all these things. And you know what? There's a lot of truth to a lot of it. So what was it? It was signs that they learned to depend upon. Well, that's only in the natural and it may be true and it may not be. But we know that the Lord has given us prophetic signs that we would be able to watch so we would not know necessarily the day or maybe the hour, but we would be aware of the season. So I personally believe that we are living in the season of the rapture. Now, I don't know the day, I don't know the hour, I don't know the year, but just as our seasons will, one will end and blend into the other, you know how it is that they will say, well, fall will begin on September the 21st or whatever it is, and, and winter will begin on December the 21st or the 22nd, and spring will begin on so-and-so, but you ever notice sometimes that the weather don't get them memos, and it'll be cold before it's winter, and it'll be warm before spring, so somehow the weather didn't get that text from whoever it is that put all that together. So the seasons will merge and they will actually be warm days over in the wintertime and then there'll be cool days before it's supposed to be here. And the seasons of the coming of the Lord, the seasons of all these things will come and we'll see part of it and people will look at it and say, oh my, then that, that's the day. They want to take that particular day which is only a day of the overlapping time of the season and they want to place a date and say, well, the Lord will come on a certain, certain day. And they always miss it when they do. We are safe as long as we are looking for the season of his coming. I personally am looking for his coming. Now, Daniel was one of those in the Old Testament that God gave absolute profound understandings and revelations of the end time. And John and Daniel's revelations go hand in hand. Uh, you see sevens and you see fours and you see much of their, of their biblical terminology and how that it will tie together. Now, actually what we're seeing here in Revelation 16 is the little horn of Daniel's vision. Now, it was the fourth beast of Daniel's vision and he called it by many terms and God would show him the same vision over and over again yet use a different symbolism. So this is the vision of the end of the Gentile kingdom. Now, remember, Nebuchadnezzar also had this dream and he also saw the four and he saw saw the great powers of the Gentile world. So Nebuchadnezzar dreamed it. Daniel interpreted it, of course, saw it by vision. John comes and sees it in a little different way. And the Lord Jesus says exactly the same thing. And even the prophet of our day relates in the same way. So this was the merging or the ending of one kingdom into another, which I'll spare you of reading it, but you can write it down. And Daniel chapter 2 verse 33 through 35 also Daniel chapter 7 verse 7 and Daniel sees an animal raise up and the animal has 
ten horns. Now, the horn in the Bible represents a power. It can also represent a certain king, or it can represent a kingdom. So when Daniel sees this animal, and it has ten horns, and then there was in this a little horn which raised up right at the very end time, and whenever it does, it matches the vision of John and Revelation 17, 12, which corresponds to the ten toes in the image. Now, when Daniel saw it, it was ten horns. When John saw it, it was ten toes on the, the beast that he saw. So it's speaking exactly the same thing, but yet God wanted to show it in different symbols. Well, you say, why don't he make it easy to understand? I'll tell you what, you can ask him that when you get there. God does it his own way. We're not going to tell God, well, that's too complicated. I don't even need to understand that. You mean to tell me this is in God's Bible and there's nothing in us that wants to understand the end time? I think we ought to want to understand it. Now, remember, as Daniel considers the vision of the ten kings, and your Daniel is watching in the vision. Now, remember, the fourth dimension is where a prophet has their, their visions. That's hard for us to imagine because most of us have never been there. And God created seven dimensions whenever a time began because he knew those seven dimensions would serve a purpose down through time. So it's light, matter, time, science, where the unbeliever goes, where the believer goes, and where God is. And in the fourth dimension is where diseases come from. Also in the fourth dimension is where a prophet sees his vision. So Brother Ram could stand on the platform and he'd be able to move into that fourth dimension and in there he could travel almost at the speed of light or sound and he would be so fast transitioning for years in people's lives. So here he's standing right here and a person stand before him and just instantaneously like that he'd go back and say, I see you coming home from school you've got a yellow check address on there's a dog behind you it chases you up on the porch and you open the door and you fall through the door and you've been scared ever since so then he moves from then right up to the present tense just like that and then he would move if God would show him the clarity of the vision and showing the end of this person's life he'd be able to move over and see them maybe 20, 30, 40 years later down the road and see them as an old man or an old woman but go your way thus saith the Lord you're made well so in the fourth dimension the prophet could travel that way well if it could happen that way in a span of a person's life 50 or 60 years then it shouldn't be hard for us to understand how that Moses would be able to be back in the cave and go back into the garden of Eden and see the serpent walking up on two legs and see Adam and Eve there remember there was no script written of the garden of Eden where in the world did Moses get this at? Being a prophet, he was carried in the fourth dimension and it was as if though Moses was there by vision and could see everything. Boy, I wish somebody preached to me tonight. He could see Adam and Eve walking in the garden of Eden. Oh, you say that's crazy. Oh, no. Apparently you've never heard Brother Branham preach that, have you? You've never heard Brother Branham talk about it that one night in the service and then he comes back the next night and he said, I was so caught up into the presence of God and he said, I saw Adam and Eve walk out in the Garden of Eden, and I saw this, and I saw that. Remember when he was talking about the five comings of Elijah, and he had just prior to that time, had preached the four. But he come and said, I saw it last night, and I saw Elijah walk out. He said, then I saw him go back, and I saw him walk out again.
again. And then I saw him walk out with Moses. <laughs> oh, praise the Lord. What was it? He was in the fourth dimension. And God was showing him hundreds and hundreds of years apart, but God's increment of time pushed it together in such a slow proxy of time that a prophet is standing there looking at it as if though it was on a television screen. And yet it would cover hundreds and hundreds of years. Look at Isaiah 61, 1, whenever he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel, to bring deliverance, and so on and so on. And then Isaiah goes on in verse 2, and he says, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And yet the Lord Jesus only quotes verse 1 as his first advent. And yet there's been 2,000 years since verse 1 has been fulfilled, and verse 2, we're right on the very edge of it right now. And yet Isaiah wrote it as if though it was happening at the same time. You understand? So in that dimension, and this is why people so misunderstand prophets and their messages, and they will take what they say and they say, oh, they're trying to compare it like a newspaper or like a dictionary or some kind of research. Look, a prophet of God don't speak like Wikipedia. He don't speak like Mr. Google. I know some of y'all think Mr. Google knows it all or Miss Google, whichever you prefer that he is, but there's only one know-it-all and that's Almighty God. Is that right? So you might consult Google on this and that and the other, but remember, Google don't know everything. Google don't know the way to heaven, and Google don't know what the name of the Antichrist is. Amen. Well, come on, and you'll ask some of them what the, who Jesus was, or say, I'd rather not answer. Oh. Mm-hmm. Now, watch, whenever John sees this, he's same thing now as what Daniel sees. So Daniel is looking in the vision. Now, you imagine he's sitting right there, and his eyes are wide open. It's not a dream. His eyes are wide open. So he's born with this in him. You and I are not born that way. A prophet is born with that, that, that ability, and that's why people don't understand, thus saith the Lord. That thus saith the Lord is perfectly infallible, because God can take that prophetic gift and speak it in such a way it will never fail because it is so perfect God made them that way I'm not made that way you're not made that way and prophets humanity is not made that way and that's why they could say well I believe this and I think that but it don't mean it was thus saith the Lord Right? So Daniel, in that dimension, he's now looking at this animal and he sees the 10 horns upon the head. And whenever he's standing there looking by vision, and then he sees, and one raises up and begins to knock away some of these other powers. So this one that Daniel identified him as with a fierce countenance was the thing that he said. So seven of the 10 kings are are left and three are taken down. Now, you know, God does things in quite an amazing way. Whenever we read Ezekiel chapter 28, we see that God told Ezekiel, son of man, take up a lamentation against the king of Tyrus. And he goes to speaking about Tyrus and he says, thou wast in the garden of God and every precious stone was thy covering. The sardas, the, the topaz, the carbuncle, this and that and the other. Thou was created perfect in the day that I created thee until iniquity was found 
in thee. And he goes to describing all of these things. Now we know that he's speaking to a natural, literal king at that time, but yet God is also speaking to the devil which was in the Garden of Eden. Isn't it amazing? So God can speak one word and it can have multiple applications. So here, whenever we look at this one little horn that come up, and there, one, there was one that is already raised historically, and his name was Antiochus Epiphanes. Antiochus Epiphanes. Now, he raised up after following his father, and actually his, his older brother should have been king, and his older brother had a son which should have been king, but this guy was so wicked and so, oh, just a terrible, terrible man. So he killed his family. Anybody that got in his way from being king, he got rid of them. He absolutely hated the Jews. He brought a persecution against the Jews like they had not seen in hundreds and hundreds of years. So in this man was a foreshadow of what was going to come to pass in the last days in the man of sin. So Antiochus Epiphanes, he was the one that during the time, this is why the Maccabees, how I many sort of the Maccabees, in the time of Antiochus Epiphanes is whenever at the end of his time is when the Maccabee brothers joined together because they were so oppressed and they were so sick of what was going on to their people under the administration. Now remember this man was different than all the rest of his predecessor. Now this is pre-Roman of course. It's going to lead into the Roman Empire but it's not yet broke forth into it. So this man is so terrible in the way that he's doing, but he is a prefigure of what's going to be in the tribulation period. Now I know we all say, oh, the times are so bad now. They're so terrible. And they are. They are the worst that we've ever known in our life. But believe me, this is a picnic compared to the tribulation period. Whatever you got to go through now is mild compared to what it's going to be. Now when Daniel looks, he looks and see, and there was three horns. And then there's one horn that raised up and knocked them three down, and then this one horn raised up. Now it was a notable horn. And he had eyes, and he had wisdom to speak. So each of these is a trait, a prophetic trait, given to this king. And of course it was, as I said, a mirror reflection of Antioch, of this Epiphanes, and he was one of, one of a kind, really, but it was a mirror of what's going to come in the last days. You see, his countenance was identified as very fierce. Notice Daniel chapter 7, verse 8. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another little horn. Therefore, whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots, and behold, in this horn, were eyes like the eyes of a man. Now notice this is different than the rest of them. So this king, this ruler, had attributes about him that superseded the previous ten that were before him. The mention of his eyes suggests he has remarkable abilities of being able to be so persuasive and look around, oh my goodness, and skill and planning his his exploits of what he's going to do and promote himself so that people will be so caught up with him when he arrives on the earth they will just know beyond a shadow of a doubt this is Satan's superman. Now the sad part about it is the majority of the world won't know it and you and I will know it but we'll be gone. Hmm. Right. 
So he will be so talented and have such ability. Now we're talking about the end time and the Antichrist. And he was given what Daniel called, and he said, look at the last phrases here, a mouth speaking great things. So now he has notable eyes, which is perception, seeing, able to perceive things, able to look at things, an orchestrator, a diviner as it was, one that has the ability to put things together. And not only that, but he has a mouth that is giving great, great words. And Daniel said a mouth speaking great things. Oh, great things. Well, Paul says it this way in 2 Thessalonians 2, 3. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away. First, and the man of sin, that man of sin. There's such a difference between the man of sin and the son of man. <laughs> you see, if you refuse the gathering under the son of man, you'll be gathered under the man of sin. It's under the call of the Son of Man that the bride hears the bridegroom's voice. Amen. Is that right? Sure, it's what he said in proving his word. Let no man deceive you by any means. So there's going to be a falling away. And he said that man of sin, he doesn't pluralize it now and say men of sin. This is one particular being, individual. Be revealed the son of perdition. Now notice again the difference between son of man and son of perdition. And who else? Wasn't there somebody else in the New Testament called the son of perdition? Judas. Who opposes and exalteth himself above all that is called God. Boy, that's a big subject right there. All that is called God. All that is called God. Or that is worship so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. Who is this? The devil incarnate. Listen to this, and God of this evil age. I know you've heard me preach this for years and years. I preached it years ago, I think the first time, maybe in the 90s, and I called it Satan's ambition. Notice, Brother Ram said, Satan not called the God of any other age, but this age. It was his ambition to be like God from the very beginning. Isn't that amazing now? He wants to be like God. So this is what has driven him down through the millennia to want to be worshiped. Now he does not want to be God like God in the realm of holiness, sanctification, purity, truth, and all of that. He does not want to be like God in the way of humility. Satan and humility, well, they just don't go together, do they? But he wants to be like God in that he wants worship. Oh, why was it that he told the Lord Jesus, all these kingdoms of the world are mine and I will give them to you. I only require one thing, you worship me. 
He wants worship so bad. Now he don't want to be like God in the sense of having God's nature. That's what we want to be like, right? We want to be like God too. But we don't want to be like God in that we want to be worshiped, but we want to be like God in that we want his nature. We want to be able to forgive our enemies and pray for those who despitefully use us. We want to be able to turn the other cheek. Is that right? Anybody here want to be God? Anybody here want to control the earth? Would you like for the earth to be turned over to your charge for an hour? Well, you might like for it to be, but I wouldn't. You ain't got enough power to throw a pea up in the air and hold it there in its right place. You ain't, don't sit there and look at me. You think nobody here can take a grape or an orange or a green pea or something like that and spin it up in the air and keep it up there. And my God keeps this whole thing together by his power. So no, 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 get in your right mind. We ain't big enough, smart enough, got enough power to be the Almighty. But yet Satan doesn't want to be in that sense like him because he knows certainly his limitation. But he has this ambition. It was Satan's ambition to be worshiped like God. He took two thirds of the stars of heaven, ascended himself above those stars and preached to them. Wow. And deceived two thirds of them. You see it? All right. That's his ambition. Well, that ain't mine. That ain't done y'all's ambition, right? That's what he done. All heading up into the person of the Antichrist, which has already crowned the vicar of God by his worldly loving scientific bride. Oh, so this is the way he gets crowned by his bride church. So who you figure is going to crown the Lord Jesus? Well, according to the Song of Solomon in his nuptials, it was his mother who placed the crown on him initially. But we know in the type of the Hebrew wedding that the groom would crown the bride and the bride would crown the groom. So the mother gives him a crown, which was Israel. And she was the woman in Revelation 12. But it will be the bride who crowns him the conqueror. Amen. Praise the Lord. Notice he says he, he is going to receive this now, Satan is, by his worldly loving scientific bride. All dressed up in the pomp of intellectual religious education. She is made religious like him. And by his own interpretation of the word of God as he did Eve. And as his son Cain did. Right. So this is why he wants a church. Well, why would he want a church? Because somehow God gave him enough insight to the program of God to know that God's ultimate achievement and desire was to have a people on the earth like himself. God's ultimate achievement was not the creation of cherubims, seraphims, zunes. It was not the expanse of the universe which is still ongoing to this very day. The height of God's 
creation was man. Amen. That was the height of God's recreation in the Lord Jesus. And this is why Satan hates the true church of the living God more than he hates anything else on the earth. Oh, if you only understood it tonight, Satan hates you more than he does an archangel. He hates you more than he does a seraphim. He hates you more than he does a zoo because you are going to be the one who will crown him king of kings and lord of lords. Oh, glory, it will not be the angels of God who crown him. It will be his wife. If he can stop you, Jesus gets no crown. But you might as well get back to hell, Satan, because we're going to crown him. Notice in Revelation 16, 16 now, that he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. I read this to you geographically and historically too a couple of weeks ago, but let me read it again. Armageddon is a mountain of Megiddo. It is a high tableland surrounded by hills, which was a great battlefield of the Holy Land. There the fortunes of dynasties and kingdoms have been decided. There the cause of liberty has triumphed. There kings fought and fell. There Gideon and Barak were victorious. There Ahaziah and Josiah were slain. The old battleground becomes the symbol of the decisive struggle. So our Messiah is promised to come to the battleground once again. In Psalms chapter two, verse one, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? Now here, of course, if you have a Bible that has the messianic stars there, you'll notice this Psalm is a messianic Psalm. So it is a prophecy of the time of the Messiah. Now this is one of the ones that the Jews would read and they misunderstood it because they missed the season of this prophecy. And they was looking for this to happen at the advent of the Messiah. They didn't know the Messiah was going to come and be a man and die as a savior and then come back and be a king. They thought he would come and set up his kingdom on the earth. And even the disciples said, Lord, will you now restore unto us the kingdom of Israel? He said, it's not for you to know the time or the season. Isn't that something we moved into the hour where it is? Praise be to God. It was not given for them 2,000 years ago. Paul, even when he started preaching, Paul preached, if you'll notice, in his writings initially. He was writing as if though Brother Larry, the coming of the Lord was right there. He was writing as if though it was at hand. But as he went on in time, he began to realize, no, no, no. There's more to come. There's more span of time. Everybody be faithful. Everybody be true. Say a hold of the word. Why? He began to grow in his understanding and realize God had a great work yet to do. Now watch, as David prophesies this, why do the heathen rage? And the people imagine a vain thing. You know what they're raging about? You know what they're imagining? They're imagining they're going to destroy Israel. Notice in verse two, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, or as we know in the New Testament, his Christ. Saying, 
Let us break their bands asunder. Can you imagine? People in the tribulation period will be so reprobate. They will see the Lord Jesus coming in a glorified body. They will see ten thousands of saints with him. And they will have war counsel to meet and try to kill Jesus. They will have counsel of war. So Russia and all the rest of the kings of the earth will have a meeting and say, I believe we can take him. I believe we can do it. Are you all nuts? Yeah, you are you nuts. This is what David called. You imagine the Jews when they read that. They said, what was David talking about? But the people of the heathen are raging. We can do it. We can do it. Let's rally. We don't care if he comes out of heaven on a white horse. We'll reach up and get him. grab a hold of Donnie. Grab a hold of this and do this and that. We can do it. We can do it. He said, come on. Please. And they'll say, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. There's a time to laugh and there's a time to cry. This ain't crying time, it's laughing time. <laughs> he that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. With what? A sword that will come out of his mouth. Notice verse 6. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. God's done declaring the victory before the battle's even fought. That's the side I want to be on. <laughs> oh, you know how cheerleaders can do. Rah, rah, rah. Rah, rah, rah. We can do it. Yes, we can. Oh boy, oh boy. Yes, we can. They get everybody all hooped up and hooping and a hollering and a swallowing and a gollering and a here they go and a don't you know. And somebody's going out of their skunk. The way it is in soccer, the way it is in football, baseball, basketball. But let me tell you something, friend. We can hear this rally cry, and we don't have to worry about him being defeated. If you're on this side right here, you can go ahead and have a spell tonight. <laughs> you can go ahead and say, well, glory, we're going to win this battle because the king himself is fighting it. Joel. 3-2, I will also gather all nations and will bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat. Now, it's called the valley of Jehoshaphat, the valley of Megiddo. It's called several different things, but it's all in the same place. So for those of you who are so picky about all the words matching, I'm not sure how you're going to make this prophecy lined up with the one we just read. Since one of them calls it the Valley of Megiddo, and the other one calls it the Valley of Jehoshaphat, and the other one says in the Valley of Armageddon. 
So if you don't do your Bible the same way you do the message, you're a stinking, low-down, rotten snake of a hypocrite. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Come on now. Well, praise the Lord. Now listen why God's doing this. I will also gather all nations and bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat and will plead with them for my people and for my heritage Israel whom they have scattered among the nations and parted my land. Verse 11. Assemble yourselves and come all ye heathen Woo! This is one call I ain't gonna respond to. Cause I ain't no heathen. I used to be, boy, I prayed to three gods, I baptized in title, but I ain't no heathen no more. Cause I done seen the light. Praise the Lord. Look, brother, the master is calling. I don't care how many they say, well, no, we can't do this, we can't do that, but he's calling them to fight. If his word is so powerful to call the heathen to a fight and they can't refuse it, glory to God, are you gonna tell me that he's gonna call his bride and his bride will not respond to his word? He will speak in the resurrection and millions will come up at one time by the power of God. Why, he is the creator. Glory. Assemble yourselves and come, all ye heathen. Gather yourselves together round about. Thither, cause thy mighty ones to come down, O Lord. So the nations are going to gather, the heathens are going to gather, and then the Lord will cause his mighty ones to come down. Let the heathen be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there will I set to judge all the heathen round about. Zechariah 14.1. Now remember, many of these guys never even knew each other. They didn't have one another's books to be able to read about so they could re-prophesy it. The way Muhammad did. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Zechariah 14.1. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I, He ain't even going to let the devil have the last battle call. <laughs> That's my father. He ain't even going to get the devil the opportunity to say, well, I'm the one that called this battle. I'll tell you one thing. He said, sit down there and shut up in the corner, you dunce. I'm the one that called this battle. I prophesied about it in the mouth of Micah. I prophesied about it in the mouth of Joel, in the mouth of Jeremiah. I prophesied about it that I would do the calling. I don't care how many peace packs they try to make. Every nation on the earth will gather to Jerusalem. And there they will gather to fight. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. 
And as the crow flies, it's about 60 miles from Jerusalem to the valley of Megiddo. And the city shall be taken, and the house is rifled, and the women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Oh, glory. Verse 3 is a marvel to me in our lives as well as this. If we could only jump from verse 1 to verse 3 and skip verse 2. But you see, somehow in the sovereignty of God, He allows verse 2 in many of our lives that God prophesies He's the mighty El Gabor. He's the mighty general. He's the captain of the Lord's host. And He's going to do this and this and this. And then He allows verse 2's. Look at this verse 2. I will gather all nations together against the battle, and the city shall be taken. You'll be sick. You'll fight this battle. You'll go through that. You'll go through that. And the houses rivaled, and the women ravished. All kinds of difficulty. Then verse 3. Then. Then. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. Okay, okay am, am I reading this right that this ain't God's first fight? <laughs> He'd been there and done that. Exodus chapter 14, verse 22. And the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground. And the waters were a wall unto them on the right hand and on the left. And the Egyptians pursued and went in after them to the midst of the sea, even all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And it came to pass that in the morning watch the Lord, glory to God, the Lord looked unto the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire. You see, it depends on which side of the pillar of fire you're on. If you're on one side, you get divine protection. If you're on the other side, you get divine judgment. If you're on one side of that pillar of fire, the Lord God will watch for you. He'll fight your battles. He'll help you when you're down. He'll help you when you're weary. But if you're on the other side of that, he'll take your wheels off. He'll make your generals fall dead. He'll kill them with hornets. He's a mighty God. He's mighty in battle. Oh, hallelujah. He's on your side, children. So the Lord looked unto the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and of the cloud and troubled the host of the Egyptians. Good Lord. And took off their chariot wheels. Wow, what a way to fight. I mean, man, you're down there in the middle of that. You're scared teetotally to death anyhow. Here's a wall of water on this side and a wall of water on that side. And you're going to, yeah, yeah, get up, boy, get up. You're running for everything you know to do. And all of a sudden, you see the guy in front of you, get out of my way, a better dab, whatever your name is. And all of a sudden, one wheel goes this way and another and goes that way. And you look at your wheels and they're down. And now you are buried. And the ones behind you say, what in the world's going on? God sent angels down there. They didn't have impact wrenches. Oh, glory to God. You imagine the Lord God fighting a battle by removing lug bolts. 
If he can remove lug bolts, he can remove tumors. He can remove headaches. He can remove arthritis. He can remove sin. He can remove depression. and took off the chariot wheels. I knew all along that God was some sort of a comedian. I knew he had to have a sense of humor. I saw a video not long ago of an archaeologist that has been searching for years for the true crossing of the Red Sea. When they sent their divers down, into this very inconspicuous place. But it looks like the way the Bible describes it. They found circles laying down in the bottom of the sea. And they found all types of sea creatures that was attached to them, perfect circles. And they found another one here and another one over there. And they went from one side to the other side and they found a whole pass of chariot wheels. My God keeps his word. brother, sister. And took off their chariot wheels that they drove them heavily. That's just a fancy way of saying fast. Get out of here. Get out of here. So that the Egyptians said, let us flee from the face of Israel. Glory to God. For the Lord. For the Lord. Notice capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. The Lord fighteth for them against the Egyptians. Lord, children, that same God's right in this building tonight. He will fight for us if we'll let him. <laughs> Thank you, Lord God. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand over the sea, that the waters may come again upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. And Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to his strength. You see, this is the part science can't figure out. They want to say that it was a wall of reeds. Well, God could have drowned the whole bunch in a wall of reeds if he'd wanted to. But the Bible says water. They can't figure out how, how, how is it impossible. Well, you see, we look at this velocity and there's a certain amount of pressure. and It's all in the strength. You see, what made the sea so strong, so diligent to do this and that, was the strength God gave it in the beginning. So God just simply reaches down, takes the strength out of the sea, and just, uh. What do you want, Master? I want you to wall up right there. Yes, sir. What about us? You wall up right there. Yes, sir. And don't you move until my manservant says you can move. (laughs) 
and the sea returned to his strength when the morning appeared. And the Egyptians fled against them. The Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. But you see, the Lord had to set an entrapment for them. Sometimes, hope you understand what I'm going to say. The Lord will use his children as bait. Come on now. Mm -hmm. He don't save you and give you a glorified body and make you free from sickness and aches and pains and all that sort of thing. But he'll leave you in your, in your humanity, your cells, and even things you receive from your DNA of your mother and father and weaknesses. And you say, oh, I'm a Christian. How in the world could I have that terrible disease? I'm a Christian. How could that happen to me? Maybe God wanted you out there in the middle of that Red Sea so he could call that cancer devil out there and say, come on, I'm going to drown you. Oh. Come on. Come on. Come on, you sadness. Come on, you oppression. This is what I'm going to do to you because of what you've done to my son. Because of what you've done to my daughter. Come on out. Come on out, you cancer devil. Come on out. Hallelujah. This is what I'll do to you. I'll drown you in the Red Sea. I'll drown you in the Red Sea. Come on, devil. If you want to come against my people, this is what you get. And the waters returned and covered the chariots with no wheels on them, of course. And the horsemen and all the host of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. If we can only be faithful, friends, when we're in the sea, if we don't get scared and run out, if you don't get nervous and say, oh God, where are you? Oh God, where are you? Where are you? Be faithful. Trust him. When that enemy's after you, keep in mind the Lord God has a purpose. Think about it. What if God would have put the children of Israel plumb on the other side and give them a big head start and there's five miles on the other side of the sea plumb out of sight? But instead, God timed Israel and Egypt just about the right time. Well, it's perfect, you ask me. So here they get out there, and God said, now hold up, Moses, hold up. Why are you crying unto me? Speak. So God said, now hold up, hold up, hold up. All right, now stand out there, wave your rod across that. Boy, when he did, here comes the power of God. God said, just right. Look back there. So I'm going to put you all down in the middle of that sea. And they're going to see you and they're going to lose their minds. Because all they want to do is destroy you. But don't worry, children. It's the Lord God that's fighting your battles. Okay. And the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the hosts of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. 
there remained not so much as one. But the children of Israel walked on dry ground. Oh, the children of Israel walked on dry ground. There was wheels all around them and chariots all beside them. But the children of Israel, they walked on dry ground. <laughs> But the children of Israel walked upon the dry land in the midst of the sea. If we could only get it in our heads. As long as he will change the mud to dry land, we won't get marred up in our test. And if we can have faith and confidence and trust him, don't lose your trust in him when you're heartbroken. Don't lose your trust when things ain't going the way you thought they should. Keep trusting him. And he'll turn. Can you imagine that Red Sea? It had been there for thousands of years. No telling how deep that mud was. No telling how deep that mire and all that was. And the wind come through and blowed all night long. God didn't want to send concrete. He could have if he wanted to. But God said, no, I'm just going to send my presence. Ruach Elohim. I'm going to send my wind and just let it blow all night. Oh, Lord, God, send a little bit of that Ruach right here tonight in this place. Oh, my, let it dry up all the muck and all the mud out of our lives so we're able to draw through this dry and dreary land. Maybe able to walk on dry land a miraculous journey. Yeah. you imagine, Brother Keith, him looking at us? Whoa. Feels like a dance floor to me. Oh, yeah. The Egyptians are behind you. I know they're coming after me. The joy of the Lord is your strength, not your big, long, sad face. I'm too old to be preaching like this. I'm supposed to be calming down and settling down. Says who? <laughs> but the children of Israel walked upon dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left hand. Only God can take a sea and turn it into a wall of protection for you and me. Only God can take muck and mire and blow it dry where you can walk right across on a Holy Ghost dancing floor. <laughs> Don't you understand what happened? When they got out, and here come Pharaoh's armies and all them, them same walls turn into destructive habitat. What protected them destroyed their enemies. I wish somebody would say praise the Lord. Thus, the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. 
And Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. Deuteronomy chapter 1 verse 30. The Lord your God which goeth before you, he shall fight for you according to all that he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. And in the wilderness where thou hast seen how the Lord thy God bare thee as a man doth bear his son. And all the way that ye went until you come to this place. Deuteronomy 20 and 3. Now remember, we're talking about the day of battle. So what I'm reminding you of is God has been with them before in the day of battle. So if God was with them then, he'll be with them in the battle of Armageddon. Well, if God was the one who delivered you out of the devil's hand when you was lost, and he's the one that helped you get rid of cigarettes, he's the one that helped you get rid of that old temper that should cuss the door off its hinges, can't the same God deliver you now that you've got a tumor or now that you've got high blood pressure? Can't the same God, what do you do? Go back and tell him, Lord, you heal me then. God, you've done this for me. You're the same God tonight. You have not lost your power. The Lord shall fight for you. Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 3. And shall say unto them, Hear, O Israel, ye approach this day unto battle against your enemies. Let not your hearts faint. Fear not, and do not tremble. Neither be you terrified because of them. For the Lord your God is he that goeth with you to fight for you against your enemies. Won't you notice this? He doesn't say to fight with you. Now remember, when God brought the children of Israel across the Red Sea, they wasn't actually doing anything. So there's times God does the whole deal. I mean, he just breezes us across on the other side and says, whew, boy, that's a bad one. Man, that was close. Yeah, right, you never even done nothing. I mean, he's had them things. You say, wow, am I through that trial? Whoa, I want to tell everyone like that. And then there's other time, boy, you labor and you labor and you labor. Or you say, where's the Lord? He's the one giving you the strength to swing the sword. Good Lord. Hallelujah. Sometimes he sends hornets. Sometimes he makes the walls fall down. Other times he gives you a mattock and says, dig, dig. Joshua chapter 10, verse 41. Joshua smote them from Kadesh Barnea, even unto Gaza. Yes, this is the same Gaza right now in the land of Israel. Where the Palestinians are? Same place. Still fighting their enemies. And all the country of Goshen, even to Gibeon. And all these kings and their land did Joshua take at one time because the Lord God of Israel fought 
for Israel. Let me find a place to stop before I blew up. Joshua 23, 10. One man of you shall chase a thousand. For the Lord your God, he it is that fighteth for you as he has promised you. Zechariah 14, 3, then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations. I want you to notice when we come with him, the Bible doesn't actually say anything about us fighting. <laughs> it doesn't say anything about us having a sword, a spear, a shield. We say, well, what are we there for? We're along for the ride. <laughs> have already fought. You say when? Tonight, brother, sister. He has brought you along for vindication. We'll not be fighting the Russians. We'll not be fighting Gog and Magog. We won't be fighting none of them. We are there as his vindication that he's king of kings, lord of lords, first and the last, alpha and omega, the beginning and the end. He that is and was and shall come. We're just there to back him up. Micah 1, 2, hear all you people. Hearken, O earth, all that therein is. And let the Lord God be witness against you. The Lord from his holy temple, for behold, the Lord cometh forth out of his place and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth. And the mountains shall be molten under him. Let me close for sure. Zechariah 14, 4. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north and half toward this house. Can I read two more verses? I'll give you a dollar. Isaiah 29, 6, Thou shalt be visited of the Lord of hosts with thunder and with earthquake, with great noise, with storm and tempest, and the flame of devouring fire, and the multitude of all the nations that fight against Ariel. This is a very peculiar word in the Hebrew. It has the capability of being both masculine and feminine. And it means the lion of God or the lioness of God. 
oh Lord. And the multitude of all nations shall fight against the lion and the lioness of God. Even all that fight against her and her munition and all that distress her shall be as a dream of a night vision. Let's stand if you can. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So Satan will gather his Protestants and his Catholics together. Uh huh. And Jesus will gather his resurrected saints. Vindicated word. Enoch saw it in the fourth dimension. He said, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands. That word is myriads. It's a number which you can't number. The Lord cometh. He didn't say with ten thousand angels, but ten thousands of his saints. We are a testimony that Calvary was a success. Amen. You know, this is the greatest battle, friends. This is the greatest battle that he's ever fought. You know, he would want his greatest representation. You see, when Julius Caesar come in, and when the empire was changing from the Roman Republic to become to the new Rome, whenever he come in and conquered all the way they did, all the parades and all the things that they did. When Vespasian signed Titus, the general, come and attack the city of Jerusalem. They had an outer wall. And he took the outer wall and felt for sure he'd be able to take the rest of it. But the Jews armed themselves and they fought and fought and finally chased the Romans back out. But that didn't stop them. Then they set up the encampment all around about them till they eat the trees, the bark, the grass. They boiled one another's children until eventually Titus took it, fulfilled the prophecy of Jesus. But they built this arch. Some of you have been in Rome, I'm sure, and seen that arch of Titus. Still stands there to this day, 2,000 years almost since it's been built. It shows them Roman soldiers carrying the menorah, the seven-branched candlestick. It shows them carrying the gold and different implements to worship. And it's one of the great achievements of Titus. Still stands to this day. And here stands the Lord Jesus. He's fought with angels. He had bees as companions one time, hornets. Took off some chariot wheels. He's fallen all kinds of ways. Through lightning bolts. <laughs> Crackled out real loud thunder. The decibels were so heavy. Just make the ground shake and tremble. 
But he said, I'm saving the best for the last. When Titus come into Rome and he brought the aristocracy of the Jews of Jerusalem, he brought all the great people and they would put garments of captivity on them, a Roman symbol that now they were under Rome's domain. Titus come through and thousands times, thousands times, thousands of voices, people miles outside the city heard them screaming and hollering and they had a festival and they ate and they drank for days to celebrate the victory over Jerusalem. And here comes the Lord Jesus and he looks back behind him and said, y'all ready? And we said, yes, sir, didn't we? Why? Because he asked us in this life, y'all ready to face Laodicea? And what do we say? Yes, sir. Y'all ready to face the darkest age that's ever been on the earth? Are y'all gonna turn back? No, sir. We've searched our pack. We've searched our armor. We have not found one flag of surrender. We have looked at our armor. There is nothing for our back. There is nothing for the backs of our legs. So that leads us to believe we are to meet our enemy face on. Head on. Whatever comes our way, we meet it by the grace of God because we cannot lose. So there will be little Benjamin on the ground and the church of the firstborn in the air. You see, he's the Lord of hosts. You ever wonder why that word's plural? You see, Jacob met him one day and he called the name of that place May Anahim. May Anahim, the camp of the two hosts. God's host of angels and Jacob's host of soldiers. Glory to God. But in this battle, the Lord Jesus says, Gabriel, you stay here. You archangels, just hang around the gates. You children ready? Let's go down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. I imagine, oh, Elijah, whenever we come down there, and I remember I told you I stood there several years ago and standing up on top of Mount Carmel, they bring you out to this building. And when you climb right on top of this building, it's breath, absolutely breathtaking because right down through there, as far as you can see to the right, as far as you can see to the left, and my, my, way out in front of you in the middle, what is it? The Valley of Jezreel, the Valley of Jehoshaphat, the Valley of Megiddo, right there in the very place where Elijah said, if the Lord is God, let him prove himself. You imagine all Elijah sitting back here, Lord, I remember you're still that same God. Hallelujah. I remember them old gods of Baal. I remember, Lord. All right, Elijah, hang tight, hang tight. You're good, you're good. 
You imagine Moses standing there. You imagine Brother Random standing there. You imagine Scott. Can you imagine you and you and you and you? And I say, Lord, we're ready. Let us at him. I said, no children. I'll do this myself. Let's pray before I start again. <laughs> oh Lord God, you are a mighty conqueror. Dear Jesus, we believe you tonight to help us through these present tense battles we fight. The things, Lord God, that we go through now. We need you, Lord, when we get sick. When we get weary, Lord God, when we feel like we can't press on, we need your strength, your courage, Lord, to help us. The enemies of hell are coming against your Ariel. She is the lioness of God. Hallelujah. She is your Ariel, and she can say back to you, my Lord, you are my Ariel. Hallelujah. We can only get it in our mind when Satan attacks us. He's not just attacking us. The battle is not ours, but it's the Lord's battle. It's the Lord's battle. Lord, whatever these people are facing tonight, in the name of Jesus, may you drop it in their heart. Father God, it's not their battle. It's not my battle. It's not Harry's battle. It's not these sisters, brothers. It's not these young people's battle. It might feel like it is, and that's what Satan wants it to do. He wants to convince them it's their battle, and they're all by themselves. And if he can do that, they'll take it right out of your hands. But Lord God, tonight, for whatever reason, you have wanted us to see the battle is not ours. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. But the battle is yours, Lord. So I bring my weights, my burdens, my cares, and I cast them over on you tonight, Lord. For the battle is not mine, but the battle is yours, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. How many believes him tonight with all your heart? You see, friends, we don't want to just hear a message like this and then go out these doors in 15 or 20 minutes. We just forget totally what we've heard and let our faith just fizzle away. But we want it to ignite our faith and believe his promise. Israel ain't the only one that can say the Lord God's fault for them. There's not a Christian standing here in this building tonight if you've been saved very long. That if you would have the opportunity, you could write down a story too. Well, I was here and the Lord done this. And you could write one and you could write one and you could write one. And you sisters could write one. And many of you young people could write one because the same Lord God is right amongst his people today. Just like he was with the children of Israel. Brother Eugene Kennedy's been able to make it to church tonight. We're going to go back and pray for our brother.
sing something for us here. Brother John, Brother Darrell, and the rest of the ministers this year. Brother Joe.
the chains are broke, you can sing this. Well, I've got victory over the enemy. in God around here. Well, the devil don't want no praise in God around here. Well, we don't care what the devil don't want. We're going to praise our God with all of our might. The devil don't want no praise in God around here. Well, the devil don't like no shouting around here. Shout! 
And the prophet said, when they got across on the other side of that Red Sea, Miriam got her tambourine. She wanted dancing up and down that bank. The prophet said, if that ever sounded like a Holy Ghost meeting, that sounded like one to me. They was dancing up and down that Red Sea. Why? Because their enemy was dead. Them Egyptians you see today, you'll never see again. Well, I figure the devil don't want no shouting around the message. He don't want no praising God. He don't like it. I don't care what the devil don't like. I'm going to worship God with all of my might. Well, glory. Well, we don't care what the devil don't like. We're going to worship God with all of our might. He don't like no praising God around here. to her mate. Hallelujah! Oh, you've heard me talk about the African night and them big lame, my, them big lions, some of them the big black mane and they have the mane that runs all the way the full length of their body. When they come out there, then that black mane hanging nearly touching the ground, even down along their front. And boy, whenever they go to letting their territory be known, you know what they're doing? They're letting every other lion out there know, I'm king here. Hallelujah. And they'll Every lioness in his pride hears the voice of her king. Glory to God. Amen. He don't do a lot of killing. That king don't know. The lionesses do most of the killing. That's right. You know that's right. The lionesses do most of the killing. And then whenever they kill, he comes in and eats. But there's one thing he does. He reproduces the clan and he protects it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And when they hear his roar, they can rest. Roar! my Ariel roar your voice roar your message in the last days that's why this message means so much to the bride Ariel because we didn't hear the voice of a man William Branham we heard another voice we heard a voice behind the voice and it roared out and Ariel said
And the toothless imposter said, See ya. He goes about as a roaring lion. He ain't one. He's got a bow, but no arrows. <laughs> but there, folks, you're going to have to quit doing this to me now. I'm getting too old for this. Y'all going to have to take it easy on me now. I'm at the age of semi-retirement. What are you laughing about, Joe Hare? I'll tell you one thing. I can't think of a better way to leave this world stepping under this anointing like this. Can you? God bless you. See you Sunday. And the church said, Amen. Praise the Lord. I don't want to dismiss. I don't want to dismiss, do you? I don't want to leave this presence ever. You know, I was in the Army. I was with the 18th Airborne Corps up at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, and they gave me a steel pot, a helmet, gave me combat boots, they gave me an M16 rifle. They gave me a M203 grenade launcher mounted underneath the rifle. I was on a 155 howitzer. They gave me all this equipment to fight the enemy. But there's one thing they never gave me. They never gave me a promise of victory. But in this army, he has given us a promise of victory. Amen. We've already won. You're going into battle a winner. Not defeated. We're not defeated. We'll never be defeated. We are the overcomers. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're the people of the book. We're the people of the prophecy. The ones he said would be here. It's you. It's not something that's coming. It's here, friends. The army of the Lord. The army of the Lord. We say, yes, sir. Sir, yes, sir. Hallelujah. God bless you, saints. God bless you, saints. Oh, he's not here, our healer, our deliverer, our encourager, our strength, our joy, our peace, our El Gabor, our Father. He's our everything. Amen. Let's just bow our heads. Oh, Lord. How we thank you, Lord Jesus. It's you and your great love and your great mercy. Who could have put us in any age, but you chose us for this age. And how we thank you, Lord Jesus, that we are the people of the book, that these promises, these prophecies will be made manifest in us. Oh God, how we thank you, Lord. God, we know there's many battles among us, many needs, Lord. But how it encourages our heart tonight to know, as our precious brother Donnie said, Lord, that you took the lug boats off the wheels. If you could do that, Lord, you could take anything off of anything for your God. 
So Lord, I pray, may we never let our problems get bigger than our God. But may we look to you, Lord, and believe that in the midst of the greatest battle that we've ever been in, you, Lord, are our captain. And you've already proclaimed the victory. Father, how we thank you for the word we've heard tonight and the anointing that we have felt in this building, Lord, to ignite our faith, dear God. And Lord, I pray may in the days ahead our faith not waver, but may it grow stronger and stronger and stronger, Lord. Because we know from the battles that we face, our character is molded, God. A character that's fit to reign. Go with your children tonight, Lord. Give them traveling grace. Father, we, we just want to thank you once again for your love for us. For revealing to us, Lord. For allowing us to hear the roar of the lion. And to understand, dear God, when others maybe have heard thunder or heard noise, we heard a voice. How we thank you, Lord Jesus. And oh, Father, I asked you, Lord, you'd renew the strength of our brother, Lord. He's labored under the anointing, God. I, I just pray, Lord, that you'd strengthen him tonight and tomorrow. Bless him, Lord, in this family, we pray. Lord, the needs that are among us, we commit them into your hands, Lord Jesus. God, those who are hurting from the loss of loved ones, comfort their hearts, Lord, we pray. God, those that are sick and maybe oppressed, May they leave this building knowing, Lord, that you are our victory. How we thank you, Lord Jesus, tonight. Go with your children now, Lord, we pray. We ask for traveling grace tomorrow, Lord, as we leave. Be with my family, Lord. Keep them safe, I ask. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you, saints. Ain't it been good to be in the house of the Lord? Sing us happy, Brother Harry. Play something. Amen. You are not alone. And before time began, you are on your throne. You are God alone. And in the good times and
nothing too big for my God. Oh, there's nothing for my God. Deeper than the deepest sea